And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, welcome to the latest edition of Hear That Podcast. Growlin, Paul Inner Jr., Jay Morrison of The Athletic are excited to be with you on this snow day. Uh, if anybody hears any screaming or yelling in the background of my microphone, it's because it's a snow day. Kids are home from school, but the work continues behind locked doors. Uh, but there's always a meltdown around the next corner. So, uh, you know, be, be beware of that. I'm, I'm happy it's a snow day. Snow days are fun. I, I would say you may hear snow plows because I'm in my dining room right by the window. By We live right close to the street. But apparently the Hamilton snow plow drivers are taking a snow day as well because I have not seen one all morning. And my street still looks like it hasn't been touched. Well, perhaps it's because they follow you on Twitter, Jay, that they've decided not to touch your street. <laughs> is it 8.05 a.m.? You drop the reminder, which, by the way, it should be put out there. You should be called out. You have had this tweet scheduled. Yes. For, for how long? Since last offseason when we were doing the Game Changers pod. I thought, I, I thought you know, how, how long has that, that been in days since that last Bengals playoff win? And I added it up, and I was like, ooh, it's 10,000 and whatever. And so I, I – Played it out to see when 11,000 days would be, and today was the day, and I, I scheduled it. And then I also set a an event on my phone to unschedule it in the event they made the playoffs, which, of course, they did not. So I left it up, and it hit at 8.05 <laughs> today. And I've just – I have thoroughly enjoyed reading the the replies to that, to that tweet and uh, – a lot the tweet of pointing out that today marks exactly 11,000 days since the last Bengals playoff victory that came out at 8.05. Good for you, Jay. Right for the soul. <laughs> right for the soul of Bengals fans as they wake up on a snow day. That's what I, I mean. Every Bengal fan knows it's been 30 years. So the, the 11,000 days thing, it's, it's not like I'm surprising anybody. They know it's been a long time. It's just it's just a milestone, nice round number, along with 264,000 hours since the last playoff win. But yeah, the, the one of my favorite replies said, oh, great. Now we have Paul Downer Jr. and Jay Morgison. <laughs> <laughs> I like so. it. I did. I, my, my, my reply to you was that uh, it reminded me of one of my favorite favorite scenes from eight mile which is one in which he uh you know b rabbit gets his uh ride to work and he's about to get dropped off and he says to his buddy he says you ever just thought that at some point you got to decide it's time to stop living up here and start living down here and he looks at him for affirmation his buddy just says Seven thirty in the morning, dog. <laughs> don't be, don't be dropping this stuff at this early in the morning. Come on, let me have my coffee. <laughs> oh goodness! But anyway, so that yes, happy. I hope everybody's enjoying this day. So forget Mardi Gras, forget Snow Day. Happy eleven thousand day to everybody out there. Um, I, 
you know, so I hope everybody's enjoying. Go and, and hammer Jay in his replies. <laughs> go go after him. I, I enjoy uh, it, so please do. <laughs> no one's got sadder stats, and that might be your saddest, <laughs> um, even though it's it's uh, the easiest one to follow. Um, we got a lot to get to today as the Bengals try to uh, – kill Jay's stats as he 11,365 comes at this time next year. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more as the franchise tag deadline is now right around the corner. I'm starting to move on this a little bit um, and I, it's becoming a more interesting, I think, decision um, as we get closer to things. We'll talk a little bit about why that is um, with William Jackson, Carl Lawson, uh, but we've done a lot of that, so we we won't spend a ton of time on it. Uh, what is new is all 32 of our NFL insiders kind of got together and put together the mass list of potential cap casualties that you'll see. Because that's what we're entering now. We're entering cap casualty season of what a lot of people think will be a significant one due to the salary cap, which is, looks like it's going to end up in that 180.5 area. Um, it means a lot of people uh, could be out there that wouldn't typically be out there. The, everybody, every insider put out their list. Jay put out his for the Bengals, which I think most of you know at this point, as we've discussed pretty extensively. Um, but seeing the list elsewhere makes you want to go shopping. It makes you want to kind of think, well, what? who makes the most sense? So Jay and I both kind of have some that are intriguing names that we keep an eye on with that. Speaking of intriguing names, I want to talk about J.J. Watt. Um just one interesting little thought on J.J. Watt, and I don't know, it, it may be blowing things out of proportion, but I just have a thought. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Kyle Pitts because I wrote about it last week uh, in depth, and people have asked a lot about Kyle Pitts. Uh, so we will have that. Jay, of course, you'll have more sat stats beside 11,000 that we'll get to. Uh, let's, um, let's jump in. So the franchise tag deadline – uh, is March 9th, but you can the window starts February 23rd, but basically March 9th is the day you need to know. But we're right around the corner on that decision coming up. Uh, you can do one franchise tag. It is a one-year tender um, that you offer to a player. And if we end up where the cap is supposed to end up, um, you would end up with about 14.8 um, 14.9 at corner, which would be William Jackson, and 15.9 at defensive end for one year, uh, if that was for Carl Lawson. So the question kind of becomes, you know, a report kind of came out uh, from Jason LaCamphora that, you know, there's a lot of things pointing towards Carl Lawson and the Bengals using the tag on him. Um, I hadn't seen that to this point because, honestly, the idea of using – almost $16 million for one year of Carl Lawson hadn't really made a lot of sense to me when you consider the rest of the, the needs that the Bengals had. And I thought if they were willing to go there, they would be more than more likely to just do a long-term deal. Um, but if you feel like you're going to lose both of them and you really need to have it, make sure that you have at least one in house, this would be a way to lock them in. I guess, where do you think, this ends up landing, Jay. I mean, do you think that it ends up with the franchise tag being on Lawson? If they use it, yes. I can't see them putting the tag on, on Will um, for a number of reasons. But but first and foremost, they you know, they have Trey Waynes. 
under contract, uh, paying him a lot of money. They've got Darius Phillips, who I think everyone – durability might be a question with him, but he can play. It, you, you've got other options. You, you've got a base. Let's put it that way. You've got a base at, at cornerback. You don't have anything at edge rusher. And there's no guarantee, you know, if you don't lock up Carl Lawson and you let him test the market, there's no guarantee that guy ever walks back in this building. Um, so from that standpoint, it makes sense. Uh, if you look at it, it with the cap cuts expected, Gino and Bobby Hart is 15-3 and Carl would be 15-9. So those – that right there almost cancels out, and you're guaranteed an edge rusher. Is, is Carl Lawson a $15.9 million edge rusher? Maybe not, but it, it's it's kind of like that discussion we had years ago with Andy Dalton. The cost of not having one might be greater than the cost of, of, of paying someone a little more than they're worth. Right. You worry that you'll whiff, and mm-hmm. at a certain point, there's only one person – on the planet, <laughs> the Bengals could guarantee that they would have a top edge rusher on their field in 2021, and that's Carl Lawson because they can tag him. There's no guarantees they could go get anybody else. Um, and and they do like they do like to retain their own. Um, there is no doubt. It, it, you are overpaying for one year, but. You're paying for not having <laughs> to worry about, you know, your lessening injury risk. You know, let's let's be honest. Carl Lawson's story has been defined by two things: the pressure king, not necessarily the finisher, but the pressure king, and injuries. I mean, he's had so many injuries, and I think that's why he was so thrilled to put together a full season and show people what a full season of Carl Lawson looks like and claims maybe he's learned a lot uh, on how to take care of his body in certain ways to avoid some of the injuries that happened to him in the past when he came back from these injuries. But it's been part of what's dogged him and part of why he was available in the fourth round when the Bengals took him was you worried about injuries. Well, you feel a lot better just betting on one year of Carl Lawson being healthy than, than more than that. Um, and and dedicating multiple years, and they and then you also give yourself a chance to still do a long term contract if you want to, when the deadline for that would come in mid July. We saw that last year with AJ Green, when the teams were talking about possibly doing a long term deal and opting just to go for the franchise tag. But in mid July, that deadline comes where either you get a long term deal done or they play the year on the one year contract. So. In that respect, it makes sense. And also that, you know, you look where this has been successful. You know, a lot of people compare Carl Lawson and Shaq Barrett in certain ways, and they both have been top 10 pass rush productivity guys um, over the last couple of years. Lawson, I, I tend to go back with Lawson since he came back fully healthy midway through 19. And he's been a top 10 pass rush productivity guy along with Barrett um, over that span. And last year, the Bucks did that. They paid a lot of money. They paid a very similar tag. They, they didn't want to lose Shaq Barrett, wanted to make sure he came back, so they put a tag on him. And, you know, it helps when you're holding the Lombardi. Uh, <laughs> but there's no doubt his performance and return to the same guy he was proved it to be worth it for them, particularly when you put some other pass, had some other pass rushers around him. Uh, so 
perhaps you view it that way. Um, so maybe there is, maybe that maybe there is an excuse for paying that much money, overpaying that significantly for Carl Lawson. If you can still go in and 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 add some pieces around him, but it's um you know it's it takes some other things off the table for you potentially, and you wonder if that would end up taking a, a premier offensive lineman off the table for you. Yeah, and that's the thing because you you have to make the decision on Carl before you even know what you can do in free agency. That that deadline is what 8 days before they can sign another player. So if 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 you say we're not going to tag him because we're going to allocate that money to getting this guy, this guy, this guy in free agency and then those don't work out because it is it's not just go get these guys. You you have to convince guys to come here um which may be tough. It, it, I can't see them winning bidding wars and the, the, the history of this team. So that, that that's another reason I think they that maybe they do tag Carl. Really, the, the two things working against him, the injury history and nothing you can do about that. But the other one is you mentioned as great as he's been on pressures, he hasn't been able to finish. But I, I think there's that question out there. There's in Carl's mind, in the front office's mind that that Joe Burrow and this offense get things going and make a difference where the Bengals aren't always playing from behind in the fourth quarter. And that's when Carl can really kind of dial up and, and you may see him put up numbers that, that would validate that kind of contract, especially if it's just for one year. And then he goes into free agency next year. If they don't come to a long-term deal, um, it just, I'm not, I don't know what percentage I would put on it happening, but it's, it, it makes a little more sense. The closer we get to the deadline of, them making that decision on what they need to do. I don't I don't think it would be a bad decision to to bring him back for a year because the need is so great. You've got Sam Hubbard and really nobody else to come off that edge. The decision ends up I mean that's just it. The decision ends up basically saying we're not going to go all out on the offensive line and ditch the defensive line. And and you can make an obviously an obvious argument that that's the right one, but um you know, I, 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 that these things do come at you know the expense of another, and, and that's that's part of why you know I, I just thought, hey, get a long term done with Carl Lawson. But if you get to the point and it doesn't look like you're going to be able to get a long term deal done, you know, you have you go you go that route to assure that you don't lose him and and go back in in July and hope to get it done then um it, you know it's an insurance policy uh, an expensive one mm-hmm. uh and one that limits what you can do in free agency on the offensive line but you know w- one that they also have to find a way to get a pass rush if they're ever going to win games um because if you don't then even the best season from Joe Burrow ends up looking like the 2020 Houston Texans and Watson plays incredible, but they can't do anything on the other side and they lose all their games. Um, so uh, run past or boot Jay, uh, which I think we've done this exact one before, <laughs> <laughs> but we'll do it again. Uh, franchise tag Lawson Jackson, neither. Well, I'm booting Jackson. The question okay. here is who do you run with? What do you pass with? Um, Mm, this is tough. I, I'm, I'm going to lean a little more toward running with them, tagging Carl Lawson, and then I'll I'll pass on neither, and I'll boot them tagging William Jackson. I just I don't see that happening. 
The interesting thing would be, you know, and this would be the ultimate kind of the old school Bengals model of retain your own is, and we've seen this in the past, is you go in with the contracts and you're trying to get long-term deals done with William and Carl and you get one who says yes to the long-term deal and tag the other one Mm -hmm. uh, and try to bring them both back. Then you've really limited what you can actually do. Uh, on the offensive line. Maybe you feel like you can find some bargain options, which we will get into in the cap casualty shopping discussion maybe. Um, but maybe you feel like you can do some things there and try to bring back both. And I, th- I think that that's what, it makes this all very murky. You're in, this, is, this is changing by the day, you know? I mean, you, you've got contract negotiations you're trying to do with both Will and Carl. You have the franchise tag with both of them. Are you going to try to do with both? Are you going to have which who are you willing to do the tag on? How, how does all of that go? Would you prefer not to even use it at all? Sure. Do you want to keep who do you want to keep off the market? I mean, you're just as those negotiations change from day to day, different outcomes emerge. And so I I, I do think this has proven to be a rapidly changing process as it's gone along and they've reevaluated things. So uh, I'm with you. I think I'm going to run with a loss and tag. I'll boot neither and, and I'll, uh, or I'll boot um, Jackson and I'll, I'll pass on neither. I'm with you on that. I think it's interesting. I, I would still be surprised if both were under contract here for next year. I think a tag with one would eliminate them signing the other. Um, but you never know. You never know. Um, the bottom line is, though, they need they need some more action on the pass rush, and the idea of getting rid of the one guy who was bringing it um, is a fairly devastating thought. So I understand them being willing to significantly overpay for one year for that. I'm sure Carl Lawson doesn't like the idea of that. No. <laughs> you know, you finally get your full, healthy, productive season, and you worried so much about it the whole way, and then it turns out you played too good. <laughs> <laughs> and now and hey it brings up you know there's also a history of this and i wanted to bring this up the Bengals that have if you go back to 2007 who they've used a franchise tag on um 2007 justin smith defensive end who they really liked they got one extra prime year out of him um as he was coming off a rookie contract they used it in 08 on stacy andrews uh, a couple of kickers shane graham mike nugent 2013 Michael Johnson, one more extra year out of a defensive end they liked. Sound familiar? <laughs> Noticing a bit of a trend here? And then last year, obviously, with A.J. Green, which is a very unique situation with his injury and everything. Defensive end is one of the few times they've kind of done this even consistently and in this exact same spot as they're in uh, with Carl Lawson. But I always go back to Michael Johnson, one of my favorite quotes on this entire beat. And that was, we went up to Mike's locker after they put the franchise tag on him and asked him about it, thinking that we were going to get what you normally get with guys who get franchise tag, maybe frustration, wishing it didn't happen, hemming and hawing. Mike, and this was Mike, he just had this big smile on his face. He, he's like, he goes, $11.2 million. I'm just a kid from Selma, Alabama. <laughs> And it was he was he had this this humility about him of the the ridiculousness of someone paying him eleven million dollars to play football for one season, and he couldn't believe it, you know. And it was like a kid, Selma, Alabama. 
Alabama. I'll never forget him saying that. <laughs> and it was just, it is, I mean, the worst case scenario for Carl Lawson, as much as he wants to pocket his 30 million guaranteed and three to four years and all that stuff, the worst case scenario is they write you a check for 16 mil. We should all have such worst case scenarios in our life. Right. I mean, he could never play again in this league and he's set and that's that's not the way they look at it. But that and I I think he would see it that I think he would have kind of that same. I don't know that he would be mad if they would tag him. I I think he would have the kind of that same approach that Michael Johnson had. I remember a couple years ago, I went up to him in the locker room and asked him, I said, hey, do you know what the proven performance escalator is? And he's like, no, but it sounds cool. Tell me about it. And <laughs> and I, I told him about it, how, you know, it, back then it was r- rounds three and beyond. They've, they've since changed it to rounds two and beyond it. But if, if, if a player plays a certain number of stats, snaps, um, if he goes to a pro bowl, there's, there's, there's an escalator built in where they get a huge raise in, in the fourth year of their, their rookie contract. And so he went from – I can't remember what the exact numbers. It was basically like a 300% salary increase. He he went up over 2 million that or over 3 million that final year. And, and the same is going to happen for Sam Hubbard and Jesse Bates. Both of those guys have hit those performance escalators. So those are going to kick in, in this fourth year of the, unless they come to long-term deals. But, but Carl was thrilled about that. I mean, anybody would be, if someone tells you you're going to get a 300% salary increase. So imagine now going from 3 million to almost 16 million um he's not going to be a guy that's going to pout and be and, and you know kind of be angry about about getting tagged yes everybody wants to go into free agency and sign that huge long-term deal but all he's gonna do is stay healthy one more year and he gets another crack at it that's just it though i mean he, you're a knee injury away right you're always a knee injury. He will never have more value. I mean, he maybe he does. If he goes out and does what Shaq Barrett did, you get this, you know, you bet it on yourself in a lot of ways, but it's different than when you're Kirk Cousins betting on yourself. You're a quarterback and you can always kind of recover. I mean, defensive ends, running backs, guys with where you need the dip and the bend and the explosion. You're one injury away. You're one knee injury away. You know, he's never going to have more value. And the idea to collect 30-some guaranteed, you know, as opposed to 16 guaranteed, even though it's for one year, is something that you got to kind of swallow a little bit. And that it can be a tough pill to swallow as you're now forcing yourself to go be healthy again and do it again for another year in order to be back in the same position and just a year older. You know, there's a reason why guys don't like it, but there's also a reason that it exists. You're, you're trying to keep teams – players to be able to have value and keeping guys around and, and retain and, and this is part of that um that will all be playing out over the coming weeks so we'll continue to keep an eye on that and the more we learn about it as it develops you know it changes a lot uh we'll we'll keep you uh in the loop as much as we can all right let's take a second and switch gears here and hear from a sponsor and now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream direct tv satellite free hey frank a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get direct tv what's the little birdie was it jimmy the sparrow it's a figure of speech point is you can stream direct tv over the internet now oh sure next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people right <laughs> you mean airplanes stream direct tv without a satellite dish call 1-800-DIRECT-TV terms or restrictions apply Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, 
has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Let's go shopping. Who's ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. Uh, there is, so we have our story out now on the cap casualties and, and everybody's kind of weighed in with who those guys could be across the league. There's a lot of intriguing names on this list. Not all of them obviously will be cut. Um, a lot of them are just ones that make sense monetarily. Maybe some that could happen, but for the most part, you know, there are a lot that are in the crosshairs. I mean, Jay, you list you list uh, five for the Bengals. You know, I think we have expectations that Geno Atkins and Bobby Hart will be cut. Um, we, you have Trey Hopkins, C.J. Uzama, and Giovanni Bernard, and I think odds are that all three of those will be back. Mm-hmm. But there's a they make sense for different reasons why you could see that happen, and it's not impossible. Um, uh, B.J. Finney, Xavier Sufil also on your list uh, there for the Bengals guys that um, B.J. Finney definitely will be cut, um, and we'll see about Sufilo. But so there's a little bit of that with every list, but still a lot of really intriguing names out there. Jay, give me a couple off the top. Let's just start with a couple uh, that stand out the most for you. Let's 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 focus on the offensive line. We know that's part of where they'll be looking. Where do you who did you see there that made some sense that you liked? Well, these guys aren't household names, but the the Bengals need O line help and Connor Hughes our beat writer for the Jets listed both of their guards, Alex Lewis and Greg Van Roten um, as, as possible cap casualties. And it, I, anytime you're looking at something like this, I think connections are really important. And if those guys played for Frank Pollock and if Frank Pollock likes those guys, there's a, a good chance the Bengals go after them. And it's, it's not like those are guys that they're starting caliber. Van Roten started 13 games last year. Alex Lewis started nine. They're starting caliber guards that aren't going to break the bank that can give you an upgrade. They're not going to be the Joe Toonies. They're not going to be top of the line, but they're going to give you an upgrade on the offensive line and, and kind of solidify with what we've talked about. We're just having f- no donkeys, just five consistent guys across the, <laughs> across the, the, the offensive line. The no don hashtag, no donkey philosophy. <laughs> uh, uh, I want to mention, can I read the Alex Lewis excerpt? Yeah. Uh, so, I'm really I'm intrigued by this. And the good thing is no one would know better what actually happened than Frank Pollock. If you're trying to judge this, Uh, this is from Connor Hughes. Lewis uh, was among the Jets leaders in 2020. That's why the team brought him back on a three year, 18.6 million dollar deal in the offseason. Then the Jets went two and 14. Uh, and all that losing took a toll on the guard. Lewis began to fight with teammates and act out in practice. The Jets eventually placed him on the NFI so he could get the mental help he needed. While Lewis returned later in the year, he did not play. It seems unlikely he's back with the Jets, releasing him freeze $5.1 million. Yeah, acting out in practice and fighting with teammates uh, is perhaps the concerning element of this. So yes. if, if Frank Pollock says, okay – he lost it because of this guy and that guy, and maybe he's a little temperamental, but I think I know how to handle him. Well, maybe he didn't uh, since he was his coach when all this happened. Maybe maybe understands it. Maybe understands him better. Maybe that connection helps. 
if you feel like, you know, you have a guy who was a leader and a guy they signed to a three-year contract was that good, obviously there must have been belief from Pollock at that point. Uh, and then if he gets let go um, and Pollock feels like he has an understanding of what really happened there and, and can see the end game being good and getting him back on track to who he was when they gave him the, the extension, then – Maybe you have a deal there because of your inside information, and that to me is what maybe makes the most sense. Or maybe Frank Pollock says, yeah, dude, he went totally off the reservation, and I don't know why, and I don't know, think, know that how stable he is right now. Hopefully he got the help he needed. And this front office is still a little maybe gun-shy after the Cordy Glenn situation. And that's, not, that's, not, that's, that's apples and oranges, but it was still kind of a – I don't want to say he had mental problems, but it was more – of a, a mental block there, but it wasn't his play on the field that led to all the problems. It was the, the way he approached things from a mental standpoint. Um, so maybe they're gun shy with an Alex Lewis situation, but I just thought that was intriguing with the connection. Um, and like you said, no one knows what played out there better than Frank Pollock. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, speaking of guys, you things you know, guys you know, Kevin Zeitler on the list. Yep, I had him. Um, you know, uh, look, what would Kevin Zeitler cost? You know, it sounds like the Giants, um, you know, they're, they're looking for answers on how to fix things, but they, they didn't have much off, off offensive line success. The last thing I want to do is take the wave one of the one guys that was playing well for them, but they would save 12 mil uh, by letting Zeitler go. What would he cost on the open market? Uh, I don't know, but, you know, a guy, he's now 30. Um, the Bengals weren't willing to pay him the huge bucks when he hit free agency here. Would he be willing to come back here? What's his thoughts about Cincinnati? Our questions, because we don't know if he was happy that he left and now that he's seen elsewhere, doesn't want to come back here. Or maybe there's something about, uh, you know, liking it here while he was here. I don't know. Um. But if that happens, and you're maybe talking about a $10 million price tag for Kevin Zeitler, could be an interesting, um, you know, get, getting the old band back together a little bit. Yeah. I, I mean, I you look at what the situations he fell into after he, he left here. I mean, he went to Cleveland, and they had some horrible seasons, and he was with the Giants, and they never did anything. Um, so maybe at this point he's looking for a, a more stable – situation where he can he has a better shot of making the playoffs but i mean really joe burrows that hope i i think it, most of these players don't look at history so much as they look at the right now and if, if kevin liked it here and and understood the business aspect of it that, that the Bengals weren't going to bring him back uh and then he sees joe burrow moving this offense in the right direction yeah he he could be on on board to to come back to cincinnati he seemed like a guy that would like it anywhere he was just a really agreeable guy and um weather's not going to be a factor for that guy it coming to cincinnati he was still kind of balmy warm compared to where he's from in wisconsin every winter game he was out there in short sleeves so Really, the, the the main thing is going to come down to, to money and the chance to win, and uh, I, I wouldn't rule it out. Um, I, I think he, I, like you said, I, he was one of the ones I had on the list as for for reasons of 
quality play and the connection aspect of, of him coming back where his career started. I, I like what you said about him being agreeable guy and would just he just wants to play football. I don't think he I, I mean, I think he cares where he goes. But, you know, the one thing I remember about him going into free agency was he was going to follow the, the coin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, he went whoever he was happy to go wherever and play wherever he wanted to make his money. Um, it understandable, as most guys are at that point. I could see him still being that way and be like, oh, back to Cincinnati. Fine. If they're going to they're going to pay for me to come block, I'll, I'll do it. You know, uh, and. and We'll we'll see, but I, as a name that certainly stands out, you're always looking for like you say connections. The Bengals like to know, feel like they know people, and, and avoid the chance of getting <laughs> Cordy Glenn. We'll keep bringing that up, you know, <laughs> an, an unknown factor that ends up being a problem. You know, you know Kevin Zeitler, you know he takes care of himself, so thirty isn't as scary with him as maybe as it would be with others when he's just an absolute freak about his body and and. Uh, you know, weight room and taking care of himself and all that. So a name that stood out to me. Uh, anybody else on offensive line side of things? Uh, yeah, another guy with connections and, and a, a history. Um, and he's in a bad situation And it, with at the Rams. They are just cash-strapped, and he's probably going to be a cut. Um, Rob Havenstein or Havenstein, I'm not sure. I assume it's Havenstein. Uh, right tackle. Again, no connection to the Bengals per se, but he, he played a few years with Zach Taylor. Zach will know that guy. And if if he believes in him, um, that's another a guy that I don't think he would be a, a break the bank type of free agent signing, and and he would he would be a guy that would it would be a definitely an upgrade from Bobby Hart. Um, it, it, it's gonna give you that that starting right tackle that that doesn't pigeonhole you in the draft. Um, there's some tackles, there's some other tackles on the list, uh, but. Rod, Havenstein was the one that really jumped out for me because of that. Because having played with Zach Taylor and having a, a lot of years in the league, uh, hasn't had many injury issues. Still only twenty eight. Um, that that one feels like a really good fit. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you want looking at Pro Football Focus grades, I mean, his last two fully healthy years, he has graded in the eighties. Yeah. Um, and he's a, he's a really good run blocker too. Um, you know, he graded pass blocking 70 last year and run blocking 84. Um, and then the, in 18, while he was fully healthy, uh, 75 pass block, 86 run block. I mean, you love that. He's 29 is, his birth. He's going to about to, about to turn 29, six, eight, three thirty. Uh, you know who he is. You might even be willing to pay a decent chunk for him. You know, you'd be mm-hmm. willing to give him something similar to what he was making. I mean, I think you're probably going to have to do that. In a, we we know what the right tackle market looks like. It's thin at the top. Yeah. So you know, I think if he gets let go, if the Rams feel like all the money they've spent, they you know he'd be the victim. He'd be the primary victim of the Stafford trade and deal and all the money they have in their quarterback situation, plus Donald and Ramsey. You know. That means a guy like that ends up on the market. You're going to have competition for him, uh, and that's going to that's going to be one where you're you're selling the connection, uh, and maybe you can be the highest bidder. And boy, do you feel great about that if you are. You know, you're willing to pay. You're definitely willing to pay a guy like that up in the you know twelve to fifteen that he would probably cost you. I would think you know for a two three year deal. 
Um, yeah. I mean, well, I don't, yeah, I, I guess that's the, that's the one question here. It's, it's hard to, to estimate what these guys are going to, going to command salary wise because of the lowered cap. Um, and then you have to wait and see. These are all maybes. I mean, if, if all these right tackles on this, this huge list that we've compiled for every team, if they all end up cap cuts, then, then it's going to get really competitive and, and those numbers come down a little bit. And if only one or two of them end up out there competing with the regular free agents, um, it, it's, it's really hard to tell exactly how much these guys will, will command every, everything is, and even the, the reports come out, it looks like it's going to be 180.5 million, but we still don't, it hasn't been official from the league yet. It's just that there's a lot in play. I, I don't know if, is he worth 15 million? I guess. I don't know. That, His the extension, the extension that he signed in 2018 was four years, 32.5. Now he's had two very good years when fully healthy since then he had another 2019. He played a half season. Um, on a good team and you know and plays a premium position where there aren't a lot of other options at the top out there so you know you 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 think he would probably be getting at the very least that so i mean where are you willing to go with him you know and that's a very interesting question if the rams do let him go if he does end up uh on that list then yeah i think i think he's certainly one you would keep an eye on uh i'll i'll go ahead and read the excerpt here uh from jordan rodrigue haven't seen the possible cap casualty of the Rams if they believe they can bring in a reliable right tackle swing tackle via the draft. Continuity on the offensive line was finally starting to happen for the Rams in 2020, so even though they can save 5 mil against the cap by cutting him, they would roll the dice by doing so. They also incur $3 million dead money. Do the Rams care about dead money? Tough to say. If they designate Haven't seen as a post-June 1 cut, they can save 6.7 against the cap. So basically, they would be need to be bringing in somebody else for knowing they're drafting somebody else, which they don't have a lot of draft picks, so, uh, you know, this is probably one of those that falls into that category of, I don't know if they're even going to cut them, but if they do, certainly you would see the Bengals being sitting around waiting and wondering about that. So a number, uh, certainly a name to keep an eye on. Here's a name to keep an eye on, and, and it sounds like you know when you read the excerpt here uh, out of Vegas, it's not quite uh, – we mentioned him last year. He, he was thrown around as a possible trade guy, um, and – but he's, he continues to be solid and play well at guard. And there's a connection. Brian Callahan was the office court, was the quarterback's coach uh, in Oakland uh, for a few years when Gabe Jackson was out there. And Gabe Jackson plays guard. You know, he's making $9 million, and they can save all that money by letting him go. Uh, it sounds like they don't necessarily want to do that, but if they get in a position of feeling like they have to do it, you know, he is one of those uh, that makes sense. They here's the excerpt here. Uh, Jackson was pretty good at right guard this year and is a solid value. The only way he gets let go is if Richie Incognito gets healthy enough to start at left guard and Las Vegas brings back Denzel Good to be the full-time starter at right guard. Most likely the Raiders keep Jackson, but parting with him would save $9.6 million. Again, so that factor of that, that money hanging out there. Now, you would you would sign up for Gabe Jackson at nine million, I would think, pretty easily mm. if you're the Bengals and knowing what they're looking for. So, uh, a name to keep an eye on. Again, it says probably more likely the Raiders keep him, but again, continue to keep an eye on that situation. Connections, connections, connections. Um, 
let's look elsewhere. Where let's just go anywhere else. Other names that stuck out to you. Well, sticking with the connections theme, um, offensive line adjacent, uh, and you you talked about Kyle Pitts, Kyle Rudolph with the Vikings is on here as a possible cap cut. He's getting older. Um, he's not the dynamic threat that he was, but he is from Cincinnati. Um, they they could use they could use a a, a boost in that tight end room. Um, I, I'm not sure. I still think that addressing the tight end position is is too much of a luxury at this point that, that that's probably more on the table for 2022. But if you can get that guy for cheap um, and is, as much as they like CJ, there's still that huge question coming off of an Achilles injury. Uh, I, I could see that being a, a case where, you know, Kyle Rudolph comes home to possibly finish his career at 31. You have to think uh, he, he's getting close to the end. I agree. Uh, I have him listed here too. You know, I mean, he would seem to make sense as you know the right guy in the room. You does. Mm-hmm. I mean, Kyle Rudolph is an all timer good guy. I mean, he's been there. Walter Payton Man of the Year. It's like the stories of what he does off the field is legendary. You know, he's carved out a great career from him. Pride of Elder High School. Um, talks a lot about his love of Cincinnati, and, and you could absolutely see something like that. Would seem to be a fit and really give you some nice depth. There uh, with C.J. Uzama and, and then Rudolph and Drew Sample all, and then Seathan Carter as your special teams ace. You really like that room at that point with a lot of really solid guys. He would not be a break the bank because of his age. Uh, yeah, that that is one you absolutely can see make a ton of sense. Um, so keep an eye out on that. Um, I have an- another couple names that stuck out to me. I'm still trying to figure out what they're going to do at three technique. And, and it's just hard to know. Jarrell Casey, you know, people will pull a look at Denver's list and see Von Miller. And, and that's great. Like you should definitely see Von Miller. Like that is definitely a name worth seeing Von Miller, JJ Watt. Like those are names worth seeing. Jarrell Casey I have always loved, I always thought he was criminally underrated. He was a just a terror for the Titans. Injury kind of plagued him in his first year after signing a free agent contract with Denver. He would not be a break-the-bank type, but certainly a, a second-level option that you can come in and really make a difference for you as a pass rusher. You could definitely see him having a couple of years where he brings it for you, um, and you could go get him. That really stood out to me as they look to figure out what they're going to do at three tech as a possible option there. The other person to look at Jerron Reed uh, from the Seahawks. And you look at the excerpt here. It's interesting. I mean, a guy, he was a free agent last year in March. He signed two year, $23.5 million extension. Uh, had a, he had a slow start. Seattle's run, Seattle's run defense was stout and Reed, the starting three tech played a role in that. But the pass rush was non-existent, and Reed played a role in that too. Reed, through the first eight games, had only seven quarterback pressures, two QB hits, and one sack, according to Sport Radar. Once Seattle traded for defensive end Carlos Dunlap, hello, connections, and got Jamal Adams back from injury, Reed's pass rush production shot up. In weeks 9 through 17, Reed had 15 pressures, 12 quarterback hits, five and a half sacks. It confirmed what most figured. 
after the 2018 season. Reed can be an excellent interior pass rusher when paired with a talented defensive end. Uh, because of that caveat, the $8.9 million cap savings, Reed belongs on the list of potential cap casualties. For what, for what it's worth, don't expect Reed to be cut. So he's saying it probably won't happen. But if it does, it, it, his number dictates that it would be. Keep an eye on that. I mean, you like that, I think. You know, pair, <laughs> if you have Carl Lawson coming back uh, and you have Sam Hubbard and DJ Reader, uh, you like Reed in that circumstance. You're not asking him to carry things. Um, particularly if you have the, some guys that you add on the edge. but So a name that stuck out to me for that reason. Yeah, Reed jumped out to me too. I, I can't remember because when he came out, I remember a lot of people were talking to him being the best defensive tackle and being a first rounder, and he slid to the second round. Um, the, the fact that he's under 30 stood out. I, I kind of – when I saw it wasn't likely to happen, I didn't put a lot of stock in it. The Casey thing is interesting too because you're, you're right. I, every time – the Bengals would play the Titans and you're watching, you know, the previous games and that guy was just really good. And when he was, when he was younger with the Titans, they, they would line him. He, it wasn't just straight three technique. I mean, he would come off the edge at times too. And so a guy that has, I don't know if he still has that versatility, but the big question there is he's, he's 31. Um, he's coming off a biceps injury. Um, I, I don't know. I know they want to get younger at that position. And I, I don't know if signing another free agent, defensive linemen in, in their 30s is is a good fit. One-year stopgap when you draft yeah. somebody. And I, I feel like that's what they need. I mean, they need somebody who can give you something. Maybe it's just temporarily uh, while you wait for a second-round pick or a third-round pick to develop. And Casey would maybe fit that for you a little bit. One guy I, I was interested, I don't know if, if wide receiver, I mean, we talked about that you know the Jamar Chase thing at number five, and so obviously they need to add to that room. But one guy that really intrigued me, I've, I've liked watching him play too, is John Brown from the Bills. Yeah. He was on that list. He's a guy that can stretch the field. He's smaller, but um, he, he's got that explosive speed where he could be a field stretcher. And he was because these are listed alphabetically. He was actually the as I scrolled down the list, he was the first one I wrote down um, as a possible fit. Um, really the only wide receiver in that group that that I wrote down immediately. I'll have to go back through some more. I'm going to be posting a story on the top 10 or 12 options on this entire list. Um, but but John Brown did stick out to me just because he's he's kind of been that guy with the Cardinals and the Bills that can, can be a big playmaker. The only other name uh, on the list that stood out to me a little bit uh, was Marquise Goodwin. Um, you know, he's 30 and he's known for his speed. And so those two things don't typically go together. He opted out last year for family reasons. The Eagles are going to let him go. It appears, um, you know, filling that fourth, fifth receiver speed option, take the top off type of guy. Um, he, really excelled with in San Francisco with Kyle Shanahan, his best year uh, coming there. Um, is, is he fantastic? No, but I think he's a, he's maybe like a serviceable version of what John Ross was supposed to be. Uh, you know, where that, that weapon in your bag, where if you need speed on the field, you can find it, uh, you know, ran the four two seven at the combine. So just, that would be a bargain name that you would keep an eye on that that stuck out to me on the list. Um, is there anybody else 
so I have one other name listed here. Or I get Lamarcus Joiner. Uh, there's, I mean, there's a few in the when you get into the, the nickelbacks. There's a number of there's a number of slot corners on this list. Uh, it goes into what I've been saying. I think slot corner is going to be somebody where you're going to be able to find a name for at a decent price uh, that's going to be more than serviceable inside of there and give you some good snaps. Um, he's one that you know connections uh, previously was with the Rams when Zach Taylor was there too. Um, I have Akeem Hicks. I mean, I think everybody's going to see that name. I don't know if the Bears will actually make that move, but if he does end up on the market, there's going to be a lot of people that will be interested in Akeem Hicks, even though he's getting older too. The the one other one that stood out to me because it is a position of such need, um, edge rusher Derek Barnett, still only 24 years old, um, first-round pick of the Eagles, probably going to be one of the more expensive guys on the list, but if you can get an edge rusher that young um, – with, with that kind of pedigree, if 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 things don't work out with with Carl Lawson, or they like not to tag him, and and then we see a lot of this comes down to when do these these cuts get made? Mo, in most cases, these cap cuts are made before the start of the new league year. So if, if the Bengals see that guy is available, that they can pivot before they actually get into the the bidding on other actual free agents. So. That that was just just because of the age and, and his productivity. Um, five and a half sacks last year, six and a half the year before. That that one really kind of stood out to me. Yeah, it's fun to get in here and get all excited. I mean, a lot of <laughs> these guys, most of these guys, uh, I don't know, fifty percent maybe won't be cut. Probably, you know, yeah. you're you're you're. There's a bit of a you know, oh look at the it's like the cheesecake factory menu. Oh my goodness, <laughs> why is there there's so much on here? It's so big. I mean, in actuality, there's really only probably like five things that you'll realistically eat. All right, let's just take a quick break. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. One name that I want to mention that has been in on everybody's uh, mind and in many conversations is J.J. Watt. You know, asked for his release, was granted his release, is a street free agent right now. So he can sign with anybody today if he wanted to. Um, and most people would say, oh, J.J. Watt, he's made a ton of money. He's going to want to find a contender and latch on. You've already heard 
been teams that have been rumored with him, the Browns being a notable one, um, the Steelers being notable, but then there's also rumors he doesn't want to play with his brothers, um, whatever that is all about. Regardless, there's a lot of connections you've heard of and think would make sense, most of them with contenders, you know, Tampa Bay, whatever. You don't, you know, we haven't heard anything about the Bengals. I'll only say this. I'll only say this. DJ Reader and J.J. Watt were very, very close. Nobody spoke higher about D.J. Reader than J.J. Watt upon Reader leaving the Texans, even before he did. He was screaming about not letting Reader go when he was going to hit free agency and how important he really was and how he helped everybody on the line. They're great friends. The Bengals need pass rush guys. The Bengals love character, leader, do the right thing, first one in, last one out types. J.J. Watt has built his career on that. You still, How much does J.J. Watt still have left? You know, He's not going to get $17 million, I don't think. You know, I don't, his age and not being as productive this past year probably has some people wondering. I'm not saying J.J. Watt would pick the Bengals. I'm saying there's more connections and more fit there than maybe most people probably realize. Um, could DJ Reader help sell J.J. Watt on this maybe being a place that could be a nice soft landing spot for him? You could play him outside and inside. You know, Watt could play at the three tech. He could, I mean, Watt, we know Watt can play anywhere. Anywhere. Mm-hmm. You can move him inside. You can move him outside. You've got Sam Hubbard. If you had Carl Lawson, uh, you have Reader. You know, you can do a lot of different things with those combinations. Um, so food for thought, certainly. You know, you love him in that, like, funky 3-4 that Luana Rumo has liked to play. Just there, there's – J.J. Watt will fit most places. Uh, but those are the reasons why, if there was any chance it would happen here, that would be why. Yeah, I remember when we talked to DJ Reader for the first time on Zoom last year in training camp, and it was I wasn't aware of, of how tight those two were, and, and and I can't remember who asked the question, but they they just asked it, you know, what kind of impact playing with JJ Watt had on him. It's like one of those things where anybody that played with a superstar like that, you just ask about it. And I, I remember DJ talking so glowingly. Uh, about how how DJ took him under his wing and he meant the world to him and said he's one of his best friends though they're they're going to have that kind of friendship for life and so yes there's there's that definite connection there the the big issue is again going back to a lot of these guys um JJ Watts ring chasing right now and I think that takes precedence over everything and it would it would have to be a a big belief in Joe Burrow and this this front office for for him to even put the Bengals on his short list. I don't think I don't think money is going to be the the deciding no. factor for JJ Watt. That's just it. You know, last year you were able to go in and overpay for some guys in order to get you going in the right direction, hoping that you could sell Burrow and winning then going forward. Well, now it's, you know, overpay is the way to go and if there's somebody you can't really overpay for, uh you're kind of stuck, you know, and you've got to find, you know, you may believe in Joe Burrow, and you may believe DJ, what DJ Reader's telling you, but you also see 625 and one. And that's just in a division <laughs> where you're talking to the other teams for a reason. Uh, so, uh, you know, that 
would be what makes it obviously very unlikely. But if there is something to be sold, that would uh, be it. Uh, did you have uh, let's we can uh, did you have any thoughts on any of the news of last week? I guess the Bengals wrapped their coaching search. So Gary Brown did not end up being the running backs coach. Um, that was really the only thing left. They kind of made their official announcement. Any any thoughts on uh, on that? I was a little surprised. I knew that, that there was there was questions about Gary Brown with you know fighting cancer twice, and that that's always going to come into play. But um, they, they went and got Justin Hill from Tulsa, uh, a guy that has no NFL experience, um, not even big time. I mean AAC, no no slide at UC and the ACK, but. Um, you know, kind of a, a mid-major, if you will, in in, in college football, um, but a young guy. Don't know much about him. Uh, that 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 surprised me a little bit. I thought that they would, with with Frank Pollock getting that title of run game coordinator, I thought there would be some sort of connection along the line with him. Um, but yeah, the, everything else was nothing. It didn't surprise me. I, I know there was a, a good chance that they they weren't going to fill the assistant D line coach. Um, and then we all we knew Troy Walters was going to be the guy that was going to step in and, and take over that wide receiver room, which I think is is a good promotion, a good hire there. Um, so, yeah, not, nothing real surprising other than the fact of, of who they landed on at, at running back. But it could just be a, a case of, you know, at the kind of like when Zach came in his first year at this point, there's just not a lot out there to choose from. Yeah, I mean, you know. Running backs coach, familiarity with James Casey. Uh, they they have a connection back in the day, so I think that's kind of what his uh, in was a little bit. And you know, was, you never know. I mean, it's a running backs coach. You know, there's lots of young running backs coaches in the league looking to work their way up, and and the next guy in line. Um, I want to talk briefly before we wrap here, uh, which is a question that a lot of you guys had sent in. And then Dane Brugler put out um, his mock draft and about and had the Bengals taking Kyle Pitts at five. Um, so I wrote uh, in depth about Kyle Pitts and and why the sort of weighing the pros and cons of that and why you know the cons outweighed the pros a little bit and. Kyle Pitts is a, is a, obviously a rare player. There's no doubt about that. Um, but the Bengals are the Bengals are in need of a over the top type of game breaker. Basically, they, they need a receiver. If you they need a receiver, and that's not that Kyle Pitts isn't rare, and that he isn't a special talent. But this is a draft at the top when you have receivers who are special players. Um, and if you want someone who's going to be able to go over the top and break over the top, you have those available to you at number five, whether it's Jamar Chase or Jalen Waddell, Devontae Smith. So if you want to draft somebody as a weapon, as a playmaker, the best fit for what the Bengals need and that the Bengals are is one of those actual guys, not a guy who's super ridiculous, freaky for a tight end. He's not a burner, you know. And so if you have a chance to really electrify the passing game, uh, 
it would more be with one of those receivers than it would be with a tight end. As much as Kyle Pitts is not a tight end and he's actually a great receiver, yes, I, I understand all that. He'd probably be a great player. Um, but at that spot, at five, um, the cons to me outweigh the pros. Mo- and that's a big, big, big part of it is because of the other options electrify the pass offense more specifically to what will help the Bengals out the most this year and in the long term. Yeah, and I would have to go back and look at, at some Florida film. I, I wonder how often he was he was split out and how much he was actually end line because the Bengals don't run twelve. So if 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 he's more comfortable out wide, kind of in the slot, then you know, are they gonna go completely w- without just a five man protection, just five offensive linemen? It just I keep going back to the whole thing. It's just too much of a luxury at this point. This team has way too many other needs. Yes, it would be great to have a, a, a game-changing impact tight end, but the timing's not right. If one of those guys pops up next year, absolutely he would be in the mix, but it just doesn't feel like a fit in, in 2021. Here and and you know we go down the list. This happens all the time. We tight ends, you know, get people get infatuated with their freakiness and what they their production. But you know, here's the list of tight ends uh, selected even in the top twenty because this would be the highest a tight end has been taken in like you know thirty five years or something like that. Um, the highest a tight end has been taken. Uh, in the top, let's say top 20 since 2002. Here we go. Uh, Jeremy Shockey of the Giants, Kellen Winslow of Cleveland, Vernon Davis, San Francisco, Brandon Pettigrew from Detroit, Eric Ebron, Detroit, OJ Howard, Tampa Bay, TJ Hawkinson, Detroit, Noah Fant, Denver. Jeremy Shockey is the only of all of these to have a single all pro season. I mean, that's it. The the history. It the the best tight ends, they just they don't they don't come from here. I mean they're they're developed. You draft them later, you can get them. When the when the Bengals took Jermaine Gresham in the first round, Rob Gronkowski went later. When the Bengals took Tyler Eifert in the first round, Travis Kelsey went later. You know, it's this has been are you gonna get Tony Gonzalez? 13th overall back in the day. Kansas, yeah, you can. That's was a long time ago. And, you know, it's, it just doesn't happen like that. And maybe Kyle Pitts will be great. Maybe he will be different. Maybe he'll be revolutionary. There's just not a lot of history to suggest because people have thought that in the past and been willing to take those chances in the past and never done it. Yeah, Eifert and Gresham, uh, just outside of your list, you went with top 20, and both those guys went 21st, mm. um, first-round tight ends for the Bengals. So, yep, an interesting list. Again, it's just everything points to – I know a lot of Bengal fans kind of like the the idea of it, and it's intriguing, but it just it doesn't feel right at this time. And he, he would give you t- – I mean, you love to be an offensive coordinator with that as a weapon. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, I mean, it gives you lots of different options of things you can do, and certainly he's great and he's ridiculous. And a trade back opens things up maybe a little bit more for you to potentially do something in that area um, where you add other picks that you can take care of those needs and still get, and he is best on the board. You know, you can make that make sense. A little bit more, but I I would be very curious to see where Kyle Pitts actually goes. 
you know, because teams are going to be wary of just the history of trying to go with that position, even though he's different. Um, but I'll be very curious to see where he actually does uh, end up going in this draft. But that, So if you want more on that, that story is, of course, up on The Athletic and everything that we've talked a lot about, different stories uh, that we have uh, going up on the site, and you can get all of those under one umbrella plus everything else. Uh, NBA, MLB getting ready, opening pitchers and catchers reporting. Uh, you know, you've got – all the stuff going on everywhere, and you get it all for uh, one low price. We hope you will subscribe if you are not a subscriber. Uh, all right, that'll wrap it up for us. So thanks, everybody, uh, for listening to the podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you peruse all the cap casualties and think about how happy it could make you on the inside while you stare out the window at the white blankets. So, uh, all right, that, that wraps it up. We'll talk to you next week. Have a good one, everybody. Hey, football fans, this is Diana Rossini from The Athletic. Get the top stories in pro football snapped directly to your inbox with our latest NFL newsletter, Scoop City. Jacob Robinson and I will bring you the daily scoop of top NFL articles, posts, and podcasts every Monday to Friday. Sign up for free now at theathletic.com backslash scoop.